Today I'm speaking with an Australian writer, director, and author. She is author of the newly released debut novel, A Room Called Earth. She lives in rural Victoria. My guest is Madeline Ryan. I'm Aidan Nepom, and this is The Change Podcast. Hello, Madeline. Welcome to the show. Hi, Aiden. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled that you're here. I am absolutely thrilled that you're here. Um, I have had a chance to read your book, and I, I love it very deeply. Um, I'm going to show everybody that I have it as proof that I <gasps> have been reading it. Thank Ooh, you. High five, book five. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, you know, I, before I embarrass you with compliments, um, <laughs> nope, I'm just going to oh, start dear. there. Uh, I think what I really <laughs> like about it is, first of all, I, I have to be really honest and I haven't taken a lot of time to read books on paper in a long time. Sometimes I'll listen to books in the car, but now I'm not driving anywhere. So I'm not listening to books either. Um, and so it felt like a luxury to sit and read this book. And then on top of that, um, this is by far the most uh, honest and relatable and feminine piece of writing that I have read in a, in a very long time. It was like um, dipping into my own brain. And I don't know what that says about me um, or you or what this book means to other people. But uh, I, I thought this was remarkable. So congratulations on a fantastic book. Wow. Thank you so much. That's such a deep and profound response to it. I'm so <laughs> happy to have channeled or facilitated that experience because certainly writing it was kind of that experience for me. So it's it's really powerful when someone like you parallels that through your reading experience of it, because it was a very, yeah, that sense of, I guess, the feminine or yes. what you mentioned is really interesting. I haven't had that many conversations with people about that aspect of it, but I think that's a very central part of it. Yeah, I think so for people who haven't had a chance to read it yet, I'm going to do my best to try and summarize this. And I, I'm not a journalist and I'm not a book reporter. So you like bear with me here, but my rough impression of how I would describe this book is it, it takes place in the course of an evening. Um, the journey of one, woman through that evening, including um, in mostly thoughts that are happening in real time. So that includes the like thoughts that come up from the past and um, observations about other people, observations about the self in relation to other people. So um, that's my, that's how I would do, how would you describe your, you would probably do a better job describing your book than I'm doing. <laughs> Oh, I don't know about that. That seems to pretty much sum it up. I mean, yeah, it's an adventure inside the mind of an amazing woman as she goes on the journey of a day, a night, a party. And yeah, as you're mm -hmm. saying, comes into contact with different people and moments and experiences that bring up her memories or impressions and observations and sensations. And um, a lot happens in 24 hours um, yes. from her perspective, I guess. And to be inside her perspective kind of opens up. I'd like to think every moment that we experience, because I think those 
the subtleties or the the nuances of our day-to-day life are often lost or something. We're so sort of distracted. So she's like a homecoming to being at the center of, you know, our universe or her universe. And then, yeah, she meets different people. She kind of goes for a walk at night in Melbourne because it's set in Australia um, in summer, Christmas Eve, Eve. Um, (laughs) And so she's at a Christmas Eve, Eve party. And uh, then, yeah, eventually she kind of meets this guy at the party and has a connection with him and it sort of opens up our understanding of her and the power of, I think, connection and relationship Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. all the idiosyncrasies and feelings and thoughts that we kind of carry with us everywhere we go to kind of make a connection with someone I think is a bit miraculous. So (laughs) that miracle takes place too and, yeah, opens up our understanding of her and of him and, what it means to yeah connect so how yeah. close is she to you how much how a, much of you is in this character yeah it's a dance between us for sure i kind of think of her as a relative or like a mother to child relationship she's kind of from me but not me she's of me but not me so there are definitely parallels between us and deep connections but I see her as a very separate entity at the same time. She's like something I've given birth to or created that is an extension of me, but not me. So, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, um, about neurodiversity, about the relationship between neurodiversity and this particular character's journey. Well, yeah, she's hugely multidimensional and I guess I'm autistic. So I suppose I brought how I process thoughts and feelings and the structure of my logic to the structure of her inner world. And I see it as quite multidimensional. I mean, the the term neurodiversity I love because it kind of, I don't know, in my mind, I see doors opening and possibilities opening and new ways of communicating and behaving and thinking and feeling. And so I'd like to think that all of that is present in the novel um, because it's present in her. And I, like to think it's present in me, but in a kind of structural, tangible sense, I guess I brought my own, yeah, the structure of my logic to her mm. inner world. Yeah. Interesting. Which is neurodiverse. Mm. It, as I, because there's a lot of specific attention drawn to that in other interviews that I've seen related to the book and I, even on the back cover, but as I was reading it, it was literally the last thing on my mind because it was so relatable to me. I don't think knowing that she's autistic or neurodiverse is essential to reading the book. You know, I think that it's a beautiful addition and I felt, I guess a kind of, uh, maybe I have a hero complex, but a kind of duty (laughs) or obligation to helping the perception of autism Mm. and neurodiversity expand a bit and become a bit more dynamic because there are lots of assumptions and stereotypes and it's quite a static, depressing space in a lot of ways. Yeah, so I sure. guess, and particularly for women, it's very, very limited. The The dialogue around what it means to be a neurodiverse woman is very, very narrow, almost non-existent, just emerging into awareness. So I guess I see the book as a, I'd, I'd hope that the book can be a powerful contribution to that conversation But then again, there are no labels or isms used in the book itself. So it was as I was kind of writing it and she was talking to me 
this did not matter to her so much, you know, what she could be labeled as. She has her own ideas about how to define herself and what mm-hmm. kind of uh, shapes her identity in her life, which is quite separate from, I guess, positioning the book in a, is it a marketing sense or kind of socially and culturally and where it fits in the world know. right yeah, now. Sure. So, you know, I could imagine in five or 10 years, <clears throat> excuse me, that, you know, having it on there might be, might mean a completely different thing, or it might not even Mm. be necessary, or I don't even know. It's sort of a constantly evolving thing like words and labels and meanings often are. So I'm aware of its power. And yes, a lot of people in the interviews that I've done so far have sort of been interested in that. And I think that that's healthy because I wanted it to open up ideas about that, but it's kind of, yeah, running parallel to just kind of the expansive limitless quality of her inner world and that's really the most important thing to me is just how fabulous she is <laughs> and being inside it's, her mind and what a ride it is yeah <laughs> oh yeah she's incre- i mean she's an incredible character i'm curious what inspired you to write this book because you've done other types of writing but this is your debut novel so what's the inspiration here Well, she kind of just started talking to me and it had to come out. You know, I had been through a lot of changes in my life, um, both ones that I'd chosen and then ones that were sort of happening around me. And she kind of emerged once I had space to listen. I think I created space. I guess I moved to the country and I you know, started eating plant-based and I deleted social media. And I mean, it didn't all happen at once. It kind of, when I listed off, it sounds like it all happened in like a day. I sort of just, all this happened, but it kind of (laughs) took time. Uh You know, um, I was in a loving relationship and we adopted animals and it was like my life started to align with something a bit different and adjust to Mm. a different sort of pace. And I think that that created space kind of consciously and unconsciously. And then one night I was visiting my parents and I was in my childhood bedroom and my mum had her book group going in the next room with all her girlfriends and there was, you know, laughter and food sort of happening. And then I just kind of heard, heard her. It was this weird like confluence of time and space, like being, you know, I could see all my childhood sort of, I've still got some teddy bears like in that room. And (laughs) it was like, it was just all of a sudden I just, it was really vivid. And like the first couple of paragraphs that are still in the book are the ones that I, I heard her share with me. And from then it kind of just kept unfolding and it was about prioritizing her voice and getting to know it and continuing to go where it led me and creating more space for it in my life and kind of committing to her development Mm -hmm. and letting that blossom and kind of devour me whole over the course of a couple of years mm-hmm. and so it wasn't so much like an in, an inspiration I mean as I was writing things came to me about its importance like I was like oh you know the first person narrative I think is really powerful um, for lots of reasons both to do with kind of existential themes but also Mm -hmm. just in a world that's so outwardly oriented at this point in time Mm -hmm. so many distractions so many demands so many you know 
different influences upon our psyches at any given moment. I think it's really interesting to sort of go inside and, and be what, uh, revisit what it is to be inside that and to have an awareness around that because it's so easy to get taken out of it constantly throughout the day. Yes. So to actually connect with that part of us that's watching mm. the, the, the mind do its thing yeah, I think is hugely powerful. And so for me, it's a really big celebration of that in lots of ways, but also a celebration of the individual experiences, a universal experience and how sacred our stories and memories and feelings and thoughts and influences and distractions are because mm-hmm, it's easy to mm-hmm. not realize that that's our life. That's this sacred force inside us that defines us, that is every day. So yeah, I guess as it kept unfolding in my life and I was caring for it, those things became apparent, but it's not like they were at the beginning. It was just Mm -hmm. hearing her and then giving her room to grow was sort of what happened at the start. Yeah. That's lovely. Mm. Um, So what about you? What about your relationship to change? You mentioned you had gone through some changes. Do you, generally speaking, um, get excited about making changes or do you find change in life to be challenging? It's become exciting. I feel like I've had to discipline myself and learn and grow and master the desire to control everything somewhat Mm. to embrace change Mm -hmm. because I come to, I see on an intellectual level now that change is life. Like in a sense, those words are synonymous to me now, but it took me a long time to work that out and to not be scared of that, of the, yeah, the moving parts of what it means to be a human being. But now I've, I do find it really exciting. I think change is growth, change is life, change is like fresh air, you know, and, and to move with, changes is a very uh not just exciting but kind of yeah growth oriented way to be you know I read this wonderful quote I actually thought of you yesterday I've been (laughs) reading this book called Inner Engineering by Sadhguru Mm. I've actually got it here somewhere that Um, sounds interesting yeah and it's a beautiful book and he had this wonderful description about change and he was like you know if a seed wants to become a big abundant fig tree, it can't stay a seed. It can't be attached to, you know, its size or where it is or how it relates to things. It has to change to become the big abundant fig tree. You can't become that as the seed. So it's like that, that sense of if you want to manifest all the things that you dream of, if you want to express yourself, if you want to connect with others and can keep evolving in your life, you, mm-hmm. it's like, well, those things go hand in hand, the sense of change, but also the sense of letting go that comes with change. You know, you have mm-hmm. to let go of what you've known. And I think, yeah, it's taken me, I guess, some mastery to come to terms with that. I mean, it's an hour by hour thing, really. (laughs) Yeah, of course it is. I love that fig tree um, analogy. I'll have to pick up a copy of that book. That sounds lovely. Mm. Um, We have a fig tree on our property. And one of the things that um, happened over the course of the last two years, the fig tree is always produced, usually two, sometimes even three growths during um, the year, which is really unusual. Our 
our in law my in laws also have fig trees and there's are they're lucky if they get figs once. Um oh and so it's always been abundant, uh, but it had gotten like a little bit scraggly looking and kind of out of control. So a year ago we pruned it like way back and I got really escaped afraid i got scared um <laughs> i was really afraid that the fig tree wasn't going to come back that my uh. husband had had taken too much and had pruned it too far and what <gasps> happened instead of <gasps> what i was afraid of is it like it sprang back like eight million times stronger it produced <sighs> a bunch more fruit um to the point where we're like do we have to prune it every year now it's it's too tall we can't get to the top <gasps> of the branches so i the fig tree analogy is so lovely because some of the growth that a fig tree experiences is, you know, what the fig tree is wanting to do. And some of the change that our fig tree experienced was, wasn't something that that fig tree chose. We imposed mm. a giant change on it. We were like, well, you don't get this limb anymore. And this limb is no longer part of you. And mm. this down, in fact, you're just a trunk now. I hope that's okay, fig tree. And the fig tree was yeah. like... <laughs> I want to be a tree, you know? So I think, yeah. I think there's just something really beautiful about that fig tree analogy. So thank you for sharing that. I'll have to... mm, and thank you for yours, because that's so powerful too. That kind of the, the, the movement between what you see is good for its growth and what it wants and how to find the harmony between the elements there. And even right. your description then of, no, you've pruned too far. That's so <laughs> true to like a dynamic in relationships. You know, yep. it's like, it's too much. You've come to, you know, it's you're too in, in there. You're, it's too much. And then for that to actually enable something to come to life in an even bigger way with the combination of energy, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, fig trees. Mm. Uh, well, Madeline, would you please, if you would, we would love it if you would tell a story from your own life and experience. Would you share a story of a moment of change with my listeners, please? I would love to. And I, the one that I've chosen is the moment that I decided to commit to writing more seriously. I was working at a healing center in rural Victoria, where I coordinated the um, the appointments for palm readers and shamans and, you know, tarot readers and things. And I was working there three days a week. And, you know, I had had, just to give some context to the moment of change, I'd worked lots of different jobs. I had been a nanny, a life model, a waitress, factory hand um I was pursuing acting you know mm -hmm. I'd been doing lots of different things I mean this is summing up sort of uh, it must have been about 10 years of my experience mm -hmm. you know I've maybe had these kind of jobs for cup two to three years at most you know um up until that point and acting was a huge part of my life I trained as an actor um I was pursuing acting I was doing theater and at the point where I was working at the healing centre, I'd just done my own show. I had written and sort of directed a production and performed it and kind of through that come to this point where I don't think I realised this consciously at the time, but I was ready to sort of take ownership of something inside myself in a bigger way. And I think being an actor for that long and performing in shows gave me so many amazing experiences and gifts but it was like I hadn't been at the center of my life you know I was want you know I was craving the spotlight but it was sort of 
a process of coming into my own in my own on my own stage in my own existence so all of these things were kind of whirling around and I'd started writing about the experience just kind of at home you know of coming off hormonal birth control which was a really huge um step mentally emotionally physically it completely like cracked open my whole you know body mind to to wean myself off it and so that was tied up so it's a very multifaceted moment this moment um my parents are both journalists writers so I also grew up around writing and I journaled like crazy and I studied literature and I was kind of it was always there it was always a big part of my identity in lots of ways because of my parents but also because I was always drawn to it you know I was always drawn to kind of expressing through the written word and when I studied writing and literature it was that was a bit of a tormented experience actually and I think that scarred me a little bit I found the sort of the criteria that I had to meet at uni more challenging and I had this you know this lecturer at the start of one of the semesters kind of said you know a lot of the good writers in this room are going to fail. In fact, all the ones who are probably going to succeed in this room are going to fail this subject. And I thought, oh my God, I don't know what that means for me. I'm really confused. I think I'm an actor. I don't know who I am. I'm not going to walk out. But for some reason, I think I'm going to remember that he said that for the rest of my life. You know, and so I had this quite fraught relationship with Mm. writing, even though it brought me great relief. You know, it was a source of ease and comfort and a part of myself that was soft. And I was so identified with pushing and and trying all these different jobs and going for roles in plays and, you know, storming onto the stage and being, you know, the actor. I was the actor. Surely I'm the actor. Um, (laughs) And also my parents were film and television critics and they were always watching actors so it was like hello you know I'm the thing I'm one of them I'm one of the beautiful things you can see and watch and celebrate and you know and think about all the time look at me um so it was at this point though at the healing center that I I would work on the desk and coordinate these appointments and I they had oracle cards and crystals and all sorts of things in the shop and I can't exactly remember what the card reading I did was at the desk. I don't, I wish I remembered which deck of cards it was and what it was. I mean, using cards has become a big part of my life, but I just remember it was just like a knowing happened. And I was like, I need to do something to care for that part of myself in a deeper way. And I went to the boss of the healing center and I said, to her you know at the moment I'm conscious that my the days I work it's like there are two days um and then it was like I was I can't remember exactly but I think I was working Saturday and Sunday and then Tuesday and I sort of said to her look I want to write and I want a block of a solid block of time so if we could put my days closer together if we could have Saturday Sunday Monday and then I could you know write the rest of the time that would be amazing it would then just give me that psychological sense of like, that's my main commitment and that's what I want. And she was like, no. 
She's like, no, that won't work for us. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. And I was like, okay. And I, I thought for a minute and I think I talked to my partner and I was like, I quit then. And I kind of found myself quitting for it. And she was like, what? We hired you because I want to write. I need time to write. Like, that's why we hired you. And I was like, okay, well, that doesn't work for me though. The setup, if it was to get the days had just been together, psychologically, I could have committed, you know, but you don't want that. And I then don't want to do this. And it was this, all of a sudden I was in this abyss, you know, I'd constantly been having these kinds of jobs that now I see the richness of experience they all gave me and the people that I came into contact with like her and like so many were so valuable, but it was this jumping away from whatever that frequency of, you know, constantly searching and being hungry was into this space of like, okay, it's writing. Like now I really have to commit because I also need to, you know, survive (laughs) somehow, you know, so it's all of a sudden, so it was an internal change. It was like an internal shift, but had this huge ripple effect through my physical existence quite immediately because I didn't necessarily expect her to say no to just that small change. But I knew that I couldn't proceed with the the commitment to nurture what the, the feeling writing gave me if I didn't say no in that moment. So it was... It was huge, um, spiraling through time and space kind of vibes. And I, from there, the you know, I explored different ways to write and to get paid and it kind of became its own adventure and challenge and all sorts of stuff. But like I fundamentally, though, that sense of committing to the thing that had kind of been there all along and that gave me a sense of greater softness and flow and ease was a huge change for me. And technically now that was four, five, five years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and I've been in the way of that, that part of myself in, you know, with challenges and through varying chapters and stages and guises and whatever. But like, I've essentially been in the way of those lessons and that adventure ever since. So it was, such a powerful sort of moment yeah wow thank you thank you for Mm. sharing that um that is I can just it picture that conversation (laughs) and it's amazing to me how how surprisingly common that is I you know I work with companies to teach communication skills this is something I do and one of the things that often comes up as examples is people want to know how they can delicately gently um, retain their people while telling them no to things that are benign mm. like schedule changes no it's not and it's not that um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, in my mind it's like well, what, you know, let's talk about flexibility and let's talk about, you know, building trust with your folks. So if, if it's about that, you need to turn somebody's schedule request down, what is that really about? Are there a whole bunch of factors involved there? Then you can let them in on that conversation. And 
if it's because you don't want to, that's <laughs> something to reflect on, right? Like if mm. you if you're just like, no, I don't like that, then th what is that about? You know, it's yeah. worth looking at, and it's surprisingly common. It's surprisingly, and it's such a. It really it does seem like such a. It's a small like just Monday instead of Tuesday, please. <laughs> Seems yeah, like a small so and yet a huge thing. I mean, in some senses, I'm so grateful that she said no, because I'd like to think that I was going to commit to writing in as profound a way if my time had been divided still having those nice three days together as I'd requested and then, right. you know, the rest of the time writing, you know, that would have been great. But in a sense, her resistance for whatever reason kind of fast-tracked the growth, you know, as long as I wasn't then going to fall back on, oh, okay, never mind. I won't, uh, you know, which is just as available in those moments right. too. Well, that's that fork in the road, right? That is that yeah. you were presented with a fork in the road. You had your request. You had sort of an idea. She says no. And now you've got two really obvious choices. And sure, <laughs> potentially there were other choices available to you, but the really obvious ones are for you to just go, oh, okay, never mind. Or to do what you did which has yeah. led you down a very interesting path and it has you know my mother will often say things like because that's the path you were supposed to be on and I don't know if that's true I don't personally have any sense of whether that's true or not the only thing that seems to be true to me is that's that's what happened that's the so you're yeah. now on the path you are on yeah what do you think would have happened if you had just said oh well, never mind then. I'll just keep doing this. I can't help but feel that I would have been, I would have continued to have been presented with that fork in the road over and over and over again until I could kind of surrender, I think. I mean, there's something to what your mum says about destiny, I think, but I don't, I think that we have to be active players yeah. in our destiny. It's like it sits there like waiting and it will keep appearing, but we make the choice about whether we're ready for to take the jump or to commit or whatever it is, you know, and I think I would have kept coming up against that. I'm not against, but I would have kept ending up at that fork in the road, as you described mm -hmm. it in varying guises, I suspect just continuing until I got the picture and just went into the abyss with it and allowed it to then guide me as distinct from kind of constantly trying to uh, kind of take the reins of what I thought who was my identity or what I thought, you know, who I'm, this is who I'm supposed to be, you know, this is who I'm supposed to be. And it's like those impulses are always a part of who we are. You know, part of me is the actress or the, the person working the desk at the healing center. And, you know, I'm all the different facets and all the different things, but it's also like there was something deeper that was bigger than all of that, that felt out of control, which was writing. And it was like mm -hmm. on simultaneously out of control and providing greater relief and sort of solace and like calm. And like, it just sort of flows out in a way that nothing else ever had. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I had to take heed of that. That wasn't going to go away. You know, it was always going to come up again in some other guys if I didn't, yeah, if I didn't listen. So I'm glad I chose to listen. It's just a matter of when we do, I think. Yeah. yeah. 
I, mm. that seems uh, reasonable. I, I buy that. Um, you know, I, but I don't think it's always obvious. Mm. And it doesn't sound like even in that moment that it was obvious, right? It's like hindsight <laughs> gives us the ability to reflect back and go, oh, that was a fork in the road or, oh, that was when the opportunity was really presented to dig in and be me or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but you in know, the it's moment, like, it's just fear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I was curious. You, you said you talked, yeah. you talked to your partner and you, yeah. you, you thought it through before you so it wasn't yes. in in that it was, conversation it was that day it was that it was the same it day was that day it was wow. a quick turnover in many ways in a sense I'm having the image of your husband pruning the, yeah. the fig tree he's like he said to me just you know he's like you don't need this you're more than this just do it you know you don't need you don't don't get caught up in that or in those games either like seriously you're you're a writer just just do it just cut it and I was like oh, oh my gosh I think I want to do that I feel fresh air when I even think about that like yes okay and then it was like you know he was very much in alignment with that but you know my parents were like what are you doing do you know how and so ironic coming from like journalists and writers but like are you kidding like you're just gonna try and what freelance right you know contribute now like you're gonna try and survive okay Mm -hmm. And then they'd either go very silent when it came up or they would sort of be like, yeah, well, good luck to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was really, it was quite giant because they'd always been very supportive of my being an actress and were very sort of surprised, I think, by my choosing to write, which is, you know, one of those beautiful ironies of <laughs> how parent, you know, child dynamics work, I suspect. Yeah. Because I'd always thought, no, I'm not like them. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a writer. I mean, I like writing, but like, I'm not like them, you know. So it was like this fantastic karmic stuff coming up too with all of that. It was, and I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know what was, you know. And then in the middle of kind of writing all these different sorts of articles, which provided all kinds of other experiences, it was, you know, then starting to write about autism and learning about autism and being diagnosed as autistic, like, all of these things then add up to me being able to sit here now and look back and go, Oh yes, that moment was the, the major turning point. But at the time, it, yeah, it was just fear jumping, trusting feelings and intuitions. And that mainly that feeling of what is the most expansive choice mm. now to make, even if it's scary and being able to do that. You know, I think a lot of people will tend to fall back on their old habits of choice making in, in many circumstances. So it's I like this idea that per, perhaps, perhaps life keeps presenting you with the same opportunity until you take it, if that's your destiny. That's a nice idea. I, I dig that thought. And I wonder if there was a way to encourage people like I don't even know how you would say like look look for those moments because I just don't think they're obvious like in that moment yeah. but it was I, this choice to dive into the abyss and I think that that yeah. maybe is the distinguishing piece and I think I've learned since that lesson but also probably lessons before it and lessons since that often the unknown like 
to leap into the abyss and to go into that not knowing space is so rewarding, like deeply, deeply rewarding in a way that while holding on to what's comfortable is very powerful. You know, the things that are sacred to us are sacred to us and they deserve to be honored and all of that. There's comfort and power in that too, but there are times where the possibilities or in the unknown, I think their magic can out outweigh the known, you know, and, and the parameters of our kind of conscious minds and how we assess things and weigh things up. Sometimes there's just something a bit bigger calling that yeah. does seem a bit scary, but is where life is, you know? And I mean, yes, it takes experience with that. And I love the idea that the opportunity keeps arising Mm-hmm. you know, and keeps calling to you. I think that that has a nice, all is not lost sort of quality yeah. too. If you don't get the hint the first time, you know, and technically that had been there my whole life, you know, I mean, yeah. I was, I don't know what age was I, I must've been 20, 26 or at that point, but you know, writing had been in various guises a part of my entire life till then, but it was only then that something deeper clicked about it you know, so the signs are, I think, always there. Things can seem surprising or shocking or, you know, can, but I think that there's often when you can look back and see that there were traces the whole time, it makes life also seem like a bit more of a, um, a kinder, gentler teacher, <laughs> even though in that moment it didn't seem that way, you know, I can right. also see how, there were signs and if you're open to that, those lessons can become perhaps more of an adventure. That's like that we're an active participant in rather than just like, Whoa, like what, what is happening? What's going on? Oh my God, I'm scared. And all of that's there, but it can become a bit more like, Oh, this is, this is life. Mm -hmm. Whatever this sort of space of dancing between the known and unknown, like that's the a healthy way to be. Yeah. Well, Madeline, I could talk to you for days, I'm pretty sure. I definitely want everyone to go. Uh, if they like reading yes. books, this is a good one. Books. Books, books are good. Unknown. Um, but is there, anything, <laughs> is there anything that you would like to like people to know or like to leave people with as we draw things uh. to a close here? Well, what's coming to mind is what I'd love people to take from the book, which is probably synonymous with what I'd love people to take from this podcast, their day, just any experience, I guess. God, it's pretty broad. (laughs) I'm really building it up now, but um, I love that though. Don't be afraid to build things up. It can be for their entire experience. It's totally allowed. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Permission. Yes. (laughs) Um, But just knowing that you're, individual experience is a universal experience that you belong just because you're on the earth right now and every choice you're making every change that's happening is exactly how it's meant to be you are exactly where you need to be like it's everything is kind of perfect in its imperfection but in its own way and the book is a testament to that sense of belonging just because you're here you know, I think that there can often be a feeling like we need to work really hard to belong. And often that dictates whether we're willing to change or not. They're all kind of, those things are quite connected, but 
if you trust yourself. Now, it's not even about trusting yourself. It's just knowing you belong, whether you trust yourself or not. You know, (laughs) it's great you're here. Life is magic, you know. Yeah. Thank you, Madeline. My pleasure. It's been lovely chatting. lovely and comforting thought that perhaps each of us on this planet has our own unique destiny waiting for us to find and fulfill it. And that destiny is there waiting for us for no other reason than we belong here. Each and every one of us, me, you, we just belong. We're part of the ecosystem and we have a destiny waiting for us to be fulfilled if we take the leap into the abyss. Even when, like the fig tree, our branches are unexpectedly pruned, we can still grow, thrive, and fully become ourselves. Pick up a copy of the novel A Room Called Earth by Madeline Ryan from your local bookseller. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode at www.thechangedpodcast.com. And of course, please remember to click subscribe. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to share with a friend. This show comes to you from the Art of Change Skills for Life. Visit www.artofchange.com to explore how you might grow your communication, collaboration, and leadership skills through workshops, coaching, and more. Plus, you get to work with me. Thank you for listening to The Changed Podcast. I'm Aidan Nepom, and I wish you the kind of experiences in life you're excited to tell stories about. 